Hello there, and welcome to Zero XP. We are a show that sits down twice a month to talk about games, and particularly one game series, Fable. I'm John, and I'm sitting here with my co-host, who is the driving force behind all things Xbox that we're going to talk about anyways, Patrick. Hello. You can find us across all major podcast services, and if we're not on your preference, please let us know. You can find our enhanced video version of each show on YouTube by searching for Zero XP Webcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a comment. I reply to all of them. And if you'd like to contact us directly, you can at Zero XP Webcast on Twitter and Zero XP Podcast at gmail.com. On today's show, we're going to be sitting down and talking about some enhancements coming to backwards compatible games and how that's going to affect our Fable series on the next generation of Xbox series. Uh, And we'll be talking about an unlikely inspiration for one of the best moments of Fable the Lost Chapters, as well as running down the Lady Grey story arc. So, I mean, let's start off with a little bit of catch up. Um, We've had some pretty crazy uh, couple of weeks you know, concerning the launch of the next console and information that's starting to come out. Um, We've gotten, you know, feedback from different influencers and websites talking about kind of some of the enhancements coming to the Xbox Series X because they're actually out in the wild. Yeah, I mean, they've been Um, out for... Well, maybe not the wild, but a controlled test. They've been out for a few weeks. I mean, it's pretty surprising how quickly they got those out to so many people. To me, the one thing that really kind of stands out about that is it says that uh, they're confident. Yeah. I mean, I think we had talked about it uh, months ago how it'll be interesting and we'd like to know what the reviews are going to be before we go purchase uh, I mean like most of the public I think you want to know what you're getting when you're yeah. spending $500 on a game system or $300 if you're going with the Series S and hoping that those would get out early enough that they could get the reviews by the time the system launches yeah. Um, but these things were starting to be sent out towards the end of September. Yeah. And that, to me, I mean, while not everything was able to be tested from yeah, the beginning... Yeah, I mean, they weren't really playing any new games, mostly old games, backward right. compatible. Uh, it still, to me, was a display of confidence. Yeah. Hey, here's our machines, here's what's going on. They gotta be pretty confident about the fail rate on those things to send that many out to that, you know, that many influencers and websites. Absolutely. And, I mean, there's been the chatter about the... Um, the heat issue, um, but I yeah. think that's at this point been fairly it's, largely. It was dunked. really stupid in the first place how much heat it puts out. I mean, I guess there are some people it may be a concern because I mean, some areas you don't have air conditioning as much, and I've heard even consoles we have now can make your house or your room kind of hot. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's something I've never really thought about, mm-hmm. but I do get that that may be a concern for some people. But it sounds like this isn't any different than the pro or this or you know the one x or anything as far as how much heat it's putting out and that's my understanding is i mean we live in an area of the country where most uh most homes have your air conditioning and heating because our weather is in flux yes that much i think it mainly concerns parts of the country where generally they uh you know you don't need an air conditioner year-round yeah but i know some temperature tests have been kind of conducted to see what the differential is between the Series X, the PS4 Pro, and the Xbox One X generally. And it shows that, I I believe it's, and I could be wrong, so I'm sorry because I I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I believe that the 
Xbox One X runs at the lowest temperature. The Series X is a little more, and the PS4 Pro is uh, the hottest of the three. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's why it's, it's kind of a moot point. I mean, yes, that's still warm. These consoles are powerful, and you know. Well, you want them to push out that heat. Yeah, yeah, and it takes a lot of energy. They're going to I mean, create that kind of heat. Gaming PCs push out a lot of heat, and these are more on par for the first time. Well, and I don't know if you watched the breakdown of the PS5 they did a few weeks ago, but both yeah. of these machines have huge heat sinks in them yeah. to kind of help control that because yeah, they know that that's going PS5 to be a thing. PS5 has a huge fan. That's why it's so tall. Yep. Yeah, but I mean, hey, that's that's fine. I know they're also trying to make it quieter, so that's yeah. been a big thing yeah. too. Yeah, because I, uh, mean, I have the PS4 Pro. Mm-hmm. At the, that console gets pretty loud. Like, people aren't even exaggerating. It gets pretty loud sometimes yeah so i mean i i don't really have a problem with the the size of these machines i don't have a problem with the heat they're giving off i mean rather them not fail as long as they don't fail that's the big thing if they do get hot enough that that becomes a problem i mean obviously everybody remembers the red ring of death uh i really have enough faith in microsoft at this point that they would go well out of their way to make sure that was not a repeat accident another thing i thought was interesting i don't know if you saw because some people were concerned with the amount of heat that the one x puts out and laying it on its side but phil says he always puts his on his on its side oh i didn't know that yeah he Um, doesn't have it upright he said I'm used yeah. to having it on its side, and that's how I do it. I have a feeling I'll put mine on its side, but I'm not sure yet. I guess I probably won't know until I actually get it in the house. Yeah. Um, I was a little disappointed to find out that the stand doesn't come off the bottom of the, the console. Well, because I, to me, that seems like it would have created just a maximum amount of airflow that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see that, but I, I guess with the way... The main reason why the PlayStation needs it is because of its shape, Yeah, I believe, mm-hmm. and since the... One X is Series X is completely flat. It's not as much of an issue. Oh, to be clear, I'm not worried about needing the stand to put underneath it. I think it's got little feet, you know, on on the side that you yeah. would put down. I just mean that, you know, aesthetically, I would like to be able to take that. Uh, oh, that, just take that it off in off. general. Yeah, okay, so I that way, that. it just the air is going to flow maximum capacity all the way through the system in theory. But I don't know anything about that kind of engineering, so I could not know what I'm talking about very, very easily. Um, but so what we wanted to cover is Microsoft. Again, they've, I've got to applaud them for the transparency This uh, heading into this launch. And, I mean, I realize they, they need that to a large extent um because let's i mean it's no secret that last the last launch for the xbox one was terrible it was a disaster i mean it was it it took all the goodwill that they had gained with the xbox 360 and it just pitched it out the back door Mm -hmm. um so uh, i i like what they're doing i think sometimes they're almost a little too honest in that the messaging gets confused in some ways because people want to read more into it yeah. But um, I wouldn't have it any other way. I think that they're doing a, a great job of balancing that out. Uh, so they've released information on how the enhanced visuals uh, are going to work with the Series X going forward. And I'm going to read this pretty quickly, but I do think that it's, it's good to get out there. It says, on the Xbox One, we were able to provide a curated list of titles that were enhanced for the Xbox One X via the, and I might pronounce this incorrectly, it's H-E-U-T-C-H-Y, so Hachi method. This allows titles from the 360 that rendered at 720p on the original Xbox game 
that ran at 360p to play at 4K on Xbox One X, well beyond the capabilities of the original platform. The Hachi method continues to be used and bring a variety of titles to 440p, or I'm sorry, 1440p on the Xbox Series S and 4K on the Xbox Series X. Improved texture filtering is also coming to backwards compatible titles on both Xbox Series X and Series S. I think I'm just going to call it the Xbox Series from here going forward, because between the two it's a little uh, tongue-tying. Uh, but it said on the Xbox One X, a portion of the catalog benefited from increased anisotropic filtering, improving image quality of games. On Xbox Series, or 16X, anisotropic filtering has been enabled for nearly all backwards compatible titles, so you can experience the very best visuals the games have to offer. Um, I know some of that's a little convoluted, but... The example that they gave, the reason why it's so relevant to us in our show, is it's they threw up a shot of, what is that, Patrick? Brightwall? Fable 3. Is, yeah, yeah, Fable Brightwall, 3 and Brightwall. Fable 3. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm talking over you. Yeah, right. I was just saying, Brightwall and Fable 3 yes. is a very good choice, and it made me happy. Yeah, and um, while it's not the uh, highest res screenshot I've seen because it was part of an article that they released, if you zoom in on it, you can take a look and see really, um, if, if you look at the visuals in the background, it's parts of fable 3 that i think were done intentionally at the time like some motion blurring and um some of the haze in the background to kind of cover rough textures yeah looks like that haze has been cleared up and the textures are a lot more crisp yep so it's like the 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 details are where we're really going to see yeah i most mean of the difference i'm really excited it could be because having the uh the one x I mean, there was already such an improvement compared to the 360 version on Fable 3 and really Anniversary. Fable 2 shows the least, I feel. Yeah. But still some. I mean, I'm pretty excited because 3 really looked a lot better. I think that's the thing that surprises me when I go back and look at those games, though. And I forget. it's funny when you think about it because realistically, Fable 2 is the oldest version of the game that we play. Yeah. So, of course, the visuals aren't going to be quite as there. There's also... a I'd say a decently early Xbox 360 game. Um, I mean, yeah. I know that I held off on buying my 360 until Fable 2 was announced. Uh, but then, obviously, we got Fable 3, and then we got Anniversary. And while Anniversary was closer to the the end of the console, I think it actually launched the year the Xbox One came out, didn't it? I think, uh, yeah, I think so, or the year before. It was pretty, it was, it was in that window for okay. sure. Uh, so, I mean, it was a late-gen uh, title, which is why you get to see some of the benefits of the improvements and the things that they learned yeah. along the way. But I, I always forget how great Fable 3 actually looked. Yeah. I mean, the game has its criticisms, and obviously we'll cover those when we get to the coverage of that game. But visually, I mean, like, it's it's a pretty game, yeah. even now. And then when yeah. you play it on an enhanced version on the Series X, I'm sorry, on the Xbox One X, it looks great. So I'm really excited to see what we're able to see. Um, the it, last time I played through it, I, I was like, I mean, this wouldn't be cutting edge, but if someone was to put out a, a game with a lot of content that was a really good game, mm -hmm. the way that it looked, I'm like, I would still play this game. Yep. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we're going to have the benefit of the loading times increased mm -hmm. and, and all that. Uh, I'll be, decreased. It, or, uh, yes, de decreased. Um, 
but uh, weirdly, I think that that's probably going to be one of the things that I boot up first. Yeah. When I uh, eventually purchase my Xbox Series X, is I want to see these titles. I'll take a look at all three of them. Now, yep. I'm not going to sit down and play them all three concurrently. Obviously, I want to get my hands on some of the other content that's going to be available. But um, it's going to be really neat to see kind of what advantages the new hardware is going to bring. Yeah, I mean, with the now two more generations in, and I mean, you got to love that Xbox is taking these old games that. I mean, they don't even have the studio anymore, and they're still yep. visually making them better and improving them. So when you go back and play them, I guess they almost look a little bit more like how you imagine them in your head, in a way, when you've been away for a while. Oh, I totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. I mean, it's funny to me, because when I think of playing Fable the Lost Chapters, in my mind it has always, in retrospect, looked like the anniversary edition, but then you go and you pull up the actual lost chapters yeah, you watch an old youtube video and it's like <laughs> yeah and whoa yeah yeah i mean things have come a long way yeah. it's not that the game looked rough at the time it was a good looking game it's just the fact that things especially from that time frame uh, i would say from like the playstation one to the uh you know n64 to you know gamecube xbox playstation 2 era of games we just hit a point where the polygon count and things weren't high enough that they hold up the same way that, like, sprite-based games do from the early 90s. Yeah. Um, and, uh, obviously, they've learned a lot about how to make games and visually enhance them as time goes on since then, too, so that's a big thing. But it's that era of games particularly can look kind of rough. Um, oh, yeah. So no, I mean, that was, that was kind of early into those you know 3d open games too oh yeah i mean that was you know i mean when you talk about uh 3d open world games grand theft auto 3 is the most well known um and it really was the one that broke i mean grand theft auto changed the landscape of video games because they did make that land uh, which was inspired uh, by mario 64 open world exactly um but you go back and you play them and you're like whew yeah. You know, these are yeah. rough. I mean, like, I still, I, I bought the, you know, the 3D compilation for my Switch, and I play Mario 64, and it's still, I mean, that's one of the great things about Nintendo, is they're able to create games that do hold up a bit better than a lot of the competition. That's part of the cartoony art style. But even it, you know, I mean, some of it's a little rough looking at yeah. this point. Um, yeah, I remember when they did the, uh, oh, the upgrade for the 3DS, and I was like, it always it looked about like that, and then I was like, I went back and watched, and I was like, oh, no, my head just made it look like yep. that. Yeah, your mind cleans things up. Uh, specifically, the Zelda 3DS, uh, Ocarina of Time versus the N64. Ooh. Yeah, you go back, those, and you're those like, Those are rough Ooh. textures. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I really do wish Nintendo had taken the time to just fully remaster Mario 64. I mean, that game is timeless. It yeah. still controls great, but it would have been nice for it to look a little prettier. That's for a different show. Um so let's get into uh, <laughs> Patrick and I. Um, so we, we've been lucky enough to be in contact with Dean Carter, who was the creative director of Fable. Um, and really, he's, I mean, he, his brother, and um, along with the help of Peter Molyneux in some ways, uh, are, I mean, they are the, Fable is the child of, of their minds. Um, and we've talked about him before on the show. 
but uh, we've been lucky enough to kind of continually be in contact with him. He's been, I mean, just an incredible well of information for us. And uh, after our last show, we had discussed Jack of Blades and kind of how culturally in Albion, like people loved him and how great he was. And and, um, I'm going to paraphrase our conversation. I won't quote it directly um, because I don't feel like there's a lot of wiggle room for something to be taken out of context. But we were shocked because obviously, I mean, I know professional wrestling as, as an entertainment avenue is, is big all over the world for the most part. Like, there's some semblance of it in, in, in most countries. Um, but I've always felt like it was really it, 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 uh, maybe high-level Japanese slash American entertainment more yeah. than anything. Um, so we were very surprised when we found out that the inspiration for the arena and the reflection of Jack of Blades and the Heroes Guild as a whole, as far as the heroes picking their names, were inspired by WWF, I believe at the time, now WWE, professional wrestling. Yes. I mean, this started, if you listened to the last one, I had a, I had a bit of a theory about the Jack of Blades and why he was popular, and I, I was just like, we... You know, we talked to Dean some, and I was like, I'm just going to ask him. I'm going to see if there's anything to this. And that's when he ca- he started bringing up the WWE stuff because, I mean, to them, I mean, they're just they're just fans of it. Right. Like, he's, he's a character. So we had, you know, alluded that we thought maybe that it could be history twisted the story of the fall of the court or... Maybe people thought that the Archons were evil and the court had risen against them. And uh, while he, you know, validated that, you know, some people could have thought that, that the time had been so long that the general population probably saw the Jack Blades as being more, you know, of a uh, persona somebody put on. Yeah, like just a hero that put on the stuff and was just like, I'm Jack of Blades. Right, there's no way that it could be the same person. It's just somebody who took the name. And, you know, most of them probably didn't even remember the original Jack of Blades. Uh, So he put the fall of the court was a long time ago, and uh, even the Archonic Age and the Old Kingdom is way too far back in history for anyone to remember. He said, second, the heroes are like WWE wrestlers, they adopt cool pseudonyms and dressing and calling yourself Jack of Blades. Well, that's just good PR. So think like Marilyn Manson. It's a big show. Uh, even anyone that knew what it meant, and some might, nobody would think of him, uh, for a second that it was actually him, the Jack of Blades. Uh, he hasn't leveled a mountain or anything. So it's the idea that, yeah, definitely can't be the same same guy uh later uh, he went on to kind of say that uh they directly the the wwe idea was intentional from the start of the game that really are, surprised me right uh now <laughs> so they were trying to find an analogy of a situation where evil folks were treated with fandom so think of like your anti-heroes uh that's why the heroes have names like they do it's why they dress the way they do um, they used WWE as a template. The Undertaker specifically came to mind, which for those who don't watch pro wrestling, Patrick and I, uh, I mean, we we grew up on it. I mean, yeah. for us, it was uh, 
obviously not fable related, but it was—it was probably the most close to like a DC or Marvel analogy yeah, for us. It was live action superheroes. Yeah, in a, a bunch way. of guys in spandex, you know, who were over the top characters. You booed the bad guys and yeah. you cheered the good guys, and of course, as that changed and we get into the late 90s a lot of those bad guys became the good guys and vice versa yeah the cleaner the character was the more people were like nah that's too uh you know too boy scout we want someone with some edge and so given the time that fable came out this it makes perfect sense so in this case specifically jack of blades was meant to be the equivalent of the undertaker at the time kind of scary a little mysterious but people still rooted for probably him. probably didn't talk as much which really jack of blades doesn't as much but it carries weight right in a way yeah so um you know he meant uh, it, the funny thing is is while patrick and i have all this background and knowledge uh unusable information that we got from watching a lot of pro wrestling as kids uh, Dean mentions that he never really followed it in any shape or form. It just made for the perfect template. Yeah. So next time you play through the arena, I guess that's that's one thing I want to do is look at it from that perspective because, man, it just makes all the sense yeah, in the world. Yeah, it's like I the whole time I'm like, man, when, when he said it, I'm like, I see it. I yeah. see it. All of it. Yep. People coming out, getting cheers, getting booze when the, you know, the evil... Uh, forces that you fight within it, be it the Balverines or the Trolls, whereas in most cases, if these same people were out in public or, you know, traveling from one town to another, would run screaming for the hills. Yeah. In this situation, they're cheering those things on. Yeah. It's uh, a little it's a bit... Show. <laughs> a bit mind-blowing. It's a big <laughs> show. And uh, the commentators, that's another thing um, that kind of carried forward. So... It was a bit of information that I just, if you'd given me a hundred guesses for an inspiration for where anything Fable would have come from, I don't think WWE, WWF, you know, whatever you want to look at, AEW for the new kids, um, that wouldn't have been my guess. No, never linked to that at all. No. Not once. Uh, thanks Dean for that because, uh, it just (laughs) sent our minds racing. It's, it's pretty funny and logically makes a ton of sense. And if you want, uh, post a comment and tell us what heroes you think are what wrestling characters. Ooh, I th- I'd love that discussion. Yeah, yeah, maybe we can start a thread on that or somebody can send us a message because I'd love to find the parallels of which hero is the equivalent for which professional wrestler. Not personality-wise, but I will say Briar Rose kind of reminds me of Shawn Michaels. I, it's, it's because of the glasses, yeah, isn't it? I think, and the coloring oh, a little bit. Yeah, yep, I can see attire. that. Yeah, hmm. I don't, I don't think, think she's think a about sexy this. boy or anything. But. Well, I mean, she might be. You never know. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, let us know what you think. It could be a fun conversation. Yep. All right, so let's get into our Fable Revisit. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about uh, kind of picking up where we were last week, um, but jumping forward a little bit, it's not a path that you have to take immediately after the arena. But we just feel like it's one of the better ones to take. So we're going to be talking about uh, Lady Elvira Gray and the mission structure that's around her and the lore and the story that goes along with that. Um, Because as those of us know who have played at least Fable 1 and 2, uh, I mean, she's got a legacy within the games. Well, I mean, I think there's even an Easter egg in 3, isn't there? I believe so. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure there's a reference I remember what it is. I could give some thought to it, but I don't want to spoil that for anybody because it's pretty funny when you find it. 
But, um, so immediately once we're done with the arena and we've talked with Jack of Blades, there's a moment where we run into Lady Grey and Thunder, which we talked about a little bit last week, how they're having a, a lover's spat, a, yep. a quarrel. Um, Thunder's definitely getting jealous. Uh, and we get our invitation to Bowerstone North. So up until this point with Bowerstone, we've only been in the southern part, which tends to be more of the... Um, slum. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, not it's necessarily not a slum. but Terrible, it, it's, but compared to I north. would say that it ranges from your, you know, your poor citizens to your middle class, even. I, I will say around the area with the mushroom kid, that's a bit of a slum. Yes, yeah, but then when you get closer to the docks, and then, I mean, the, the first store. home that you're able to buy, and there's there's different shops. Yeah. Uh, that's, But I would say almost like that would be Bowerstone, Stone, Maine. That would be where the majority of people would hang out. So Bowerstone North is going to be your upper echelon, your uh, elite citizens who are more posh. Uh, their houses are bigger. Yes, yeah, yeah they are definitely the, uh, as we like to say, the one percenters. Yep. And the first thing that you come across when you get there is, is we, we meet a guard who, at this point, kind of surprises me because my reputation in the game, because I'm playing through uh, as, a, as a, you know, moralistic character, is still suspicious of me. Yep. Um, and we find that he's he's pretty well no nonsense, which will come into play a little bit later. But there are shops there that you can get weapons you can't get anywhere else. There are citizens, and it's to me one of the better, more fleshed out areas of the game where it seems like people have a family life. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Actual families living in the homes. It seems a little bit more slower paced than some of the the areas, and I don't know if that's because they were able to uh, maybe put it together later in the game. That's what I was wondering. It it does feel like maybe that was created later, or at least they put a little more effort in that spot. I, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, and so it's kind of a weird point for me where it's I I love the area, but I kind of feel like it's a little more gross, like it's out of touch with the rest of Albion because yeah. Albion is a gritty place. And this place is definitely, at least on the surface, a, a bit a bit more clean and, and posh. Yeah. So after we talk to the guard, you know, you kind of get a little bit of information about where you are, and you find out that Lady Grey is waiting for you in her garden. So at that point, you can go talk to her, and she wants you. She wants you to woo her. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, like she's not, she's not hiding that fact. Yeah. She's like, I've lived here. It's great, you know, but I haven't found anybody that's worthy of me. Yeah. This lady has an ego, oh, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, she's mayor and, you know, look at her compared to the other NPCs. Yeah, I mean. yeah. <laughs> and we'll talk about that a little bit later. It's definitely, she's got her own voice actress. It's She's a definitive character compared to most of the people that you can uh, have the opportunity to marry in the game. Yeah. Um, it's also important, and I'll jump ahead a little bit, that um, marrying her is the only way to get into one of the demon doors. So in order to unlock every demon door in the game... You have to make that decision. Now, seems like it could be a no-brainer, right? She's posh. She lives in this nice place. She's uh, a mayor. But, you know, there's something deeper and darker going on there that might deter you from making that choice. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. We also find a, uh, a locked-up prisoner named Gethin. And I actually, I really like Gethin. He's one of my favorite, like, weird characters yeah. in the he, game. He, he's a good little off-character yeah, so he's been jailed 
for, I guess, you know, basically spreading rumors and becoming a public nuisance. Yeah. Uh, one of those rumors is that the guards were drugging the water so that they can control everybody's mind, yeah. which is absolutely wonderful. And you've got a choice at this point. You've talked to Lady Grey, and you can go talk to Gethin, and you can either choose to pursue Lady Grey straight from the get-go and go buy her gifts, or you can do the side quest with Gethin. You can actually do both if you like. I would say that the if you do the gifts and decide to marry Lady Grey straight out, you can do that. You still get kind of the idea that she's sleazy, but you yeah. don't. You cut yourself short on a lot of the story that yeah, way. Oh yeah, definitely. If you talk to Gethin, Gethin tells you that there's something far more sinister going on, that Lady Grey should not be mayor, that it should have been her sister, Amanda Grey, and there's some sort of mystery going on with her death and the circumstances around it. And this, this is why I love Gethin. Is he, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, you know, you know, go investigate this murder. Uh, Lady Grey's evil, so all you have to do is get her dead sister to tell you what happened. That seems easy. Right, And but it's followed by one of the best things in the game because most games, you know, everybody's going to, well, actually, most stories, they'd be like, what? No, I mean, that's ridiculous. This guy is crazy. And you would think that your reaction is crazy. But he immediately follows it up by saying, you've been around. We know these weird things exist. Ghosts are real. You've seen them. I've seen them. We've all seen them. <laughs> and, like, I love that because it's, as somebody playing the game, it immediately takes you from that, you know, oh, this guy's crazy to... Oh, yeah, no, I've literally been f- fighting the undead for, you yeah. know, a couple hours at yeah. this point. I've d- dug up graves. I've, you know, I mean, like, if, if you've done the, the graveyard quest, you've talked to Nostro. I mean, like, there's just all these different things that go, oh, yeah, that should not be abnormal at no. all. Nobody no. should just even go find remotely. her ghost. <laughs> yeah. It's at the house. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, so I love that. I love that. That that's the humor. Those are the things in Fable that I'm like are just so brilliant. You mm-hmm. know that you don't get from a lot of other games. You no. know, other games would have treated it as this creepy thing, and it's like, mm, what? It's not weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I love that. Um, from here, we find out that the best lead that we can get is from Amanda, who is Elvira's sister, as we spoke about. Uh, we find if we go talk to her ex. Or I guess, I mean, he's not a widower. They didn't get married. No, but I think her, they were pretty well heading that direction. Yeah, yeah. her like. former fiancé, from what it seems like, if you go talk to him, he might be able to give you some insight as to what happened. So we find him in Barrowfields, and he's kind of still lamenting. He's lovelorn, he's hurting, and he, he tells you that, you know, yeah, something happened. He was, uh, he was lowborn for yeah. lack of a better term, and uh, Elvira did not like that. It was not something that was looked highly upon because it was below Amanda's status. But they used to have to sneak around in secrecy. So what he would do is there's a spot in the game called the Grey House, which is another great area because it's this secluded little seemingly farmhouse. Yeah. It's where you meet Teresa earlier in the game, and she kind of gives you what your quest is going to be uh, in terms of going forward, but that's for another show. And it's, I mean, there, there's the undead all over the place. Um, if you want to call them hollow men, I, I kind of see them interchangeably, but they are different. Yeah. Uh, and 
as you battle your way through that, eventually you get to what looks to be like a stable, and you shine your lantern three times towards the house, and a ghost comes from the front door towards the back of the house and leads you down to the home cellar. When you get down there, you find what is presumed to be the skeleton of Amanda Gray yeah. and a, a, a note. Uh, one of the things that I kind of laugh at, and I don't, I'm, I'm sure it was probably just a, you know, let's put something there to have a body, but the um, body is absolutely wearing, like, not combat boots, but, like, worker boots, yeah. which just doesn't strike me we as We don't know what she, they did in that cell. I'm, she may have okay, needed those combat boots. That, well, that might have been something completely different. <laughs> but uh, we find out that, you know, she had left a note as she was dying, Um pretty well throwing her sister under the bus yeah. hey i was murdered by my sister and snitch well i mean <laughs> hey i'd be a little angry too yeah. uh because uh, elvira wanted power she wanted to be the mayor you know in control of everything so you have your information you've got what you need to go back and basically expose lady gray to the public and before you can even get out of the basement, she shows up and she's like, hey, dummy. Yeah. So what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's. Did uh, you think I was a good person? Right. I mean, what about me said that and tells you that, you know, hey, she's still down to get married if you want or you can snitch on her. But, you know, you'd be giving up all this power and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, is at that point, I mean, I, I. I don't marry her often. Uh, you know, if you choose not to marry her and scorn her, she will leave vowing that she will return someday. Wink, wink. Yep. And uh, she's going to make your life hell for it. But you also have the choice to marry her at that point, in which case if you do, you'll become mayor, essentially, yep. of Bowerstone. Which they never really flesh out. No, I mean, I, I think that's one of those things had this game been made a little bit later I would love to have seen some elements where you have some choices to make which is very Fable 2 and especially Fable 3 yeah, especially where, Fable 3. or maybe you can dump some money into South and it evolves yeah that yeah. would be neat that would have been cool I almost wonder if that was a bit of an intent or not mm, I don't know uh, you know it's hard Cause, to say because games were smaller in scope back then they were but I mean we've learned a lot of the ideas we see in later games were at early. least attempted yeah. early on. Uh, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit just to cover the, I mean, the great thing about this game and, and the reason Fable, I think, is so in, enduring over time is if you decide to skip all of that and strictly pursue Lady Grey by giving her the gifts, you get a completely different storyline. Yeah. This This is definitely a very branched out mission yeah it, it's that's why it's one of the bigger ones there um because i think i probably had played it i'd played the game through two or three times before i ever knew that this was the way to go i just yeah. always assumed that it would end in you get married that's the end boom yeah. that's all uh but if you decide to give her gifts eventually lady gray will tell you that she wants you to prove that you are worthy yep. Um, and she wants you to do that by taking out our good old friend, Thunder. She wants you to beat up her other boyfriend. Yep, yeah, prove who's better, who deserves me more is what it is. And that leads uh, to a lot of tension there. And, you know, I mean, if if 
you thought Thunder was the bad guy in this ordeal. If you choose to take this route, I mean, it kind of shows how he's he's just, yeah, he is kind of a bad dude. But you're just as bad as he is if yeah, you decide yeah. to follow through. Well, especially if you've already killed Whisper. Yes, on top yeah. of it. which he brings up. So uh, essentially, once you leave Bowerstone North, you head uh, towards um, is it the Headman's Hill. Yes. Okay. Yep. Where Thunder will meet you on the bridge leading out of Bowerstone to basically say, yeah, no, we're going to fight to the death. This is going to happen. You know, I am better than you. You've already killed my sister. I got a problem with that. And you're not going to take my love away, too. I mean, like, I think Thunder actually loves her. Oh, yeah, he does. Yeah, like, I I mean, mean, to to the point of obsession. But, I mean, I I do think it was genuine, at least. Yeah, I mean, and... This is one of the few moments where you kind of feel bad for the guy in yeah, a way because yeah. uh, she's definitely manipulating him. Exactly. Um, you have and a, he's, he's weak in a way, which is she would be mentally at least. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I would agree with that because obviously you fight him soon after, and this is absolutely one of the cooler fights in the game. Mm-hmm. I could not believe the first time I played through it because I was like, I have missed this. I have yeah. missed this a couple times now. And it's very cool because you get to see... One of the things you don't see a lot of in the game uh, is hero-on-hero combat. Yep. And as you play and you see Thunder, I mean, he's calling down lightning strikes and it's raining and yep. there's a crowd and they're cheering and, that you know, I mean, it's the equivalent of a school schoolyard fight with superpowers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. People are pretty excited about it. Yeah. Just and, a random wrestling match in the middle of nowhere. And when you go back and look at it, for the time, it was also really cinematic. Um, yep. It culminates in a, a moment where you're standing on the edge of a cliff and Thunder, who at the time I thought was going to miss you and fall to his demise actually tackles you. You fall off of a cliff and wind up in in kind of a plateau and then into a cave where you have your final showdown where you can basically decide if you're actually going to follow through with killing him. And the idea is that you're going to do it, Mm -hmm. but Thunder is able to escape. But he points out before that he does that your heart is blacker than, you know, anybody's. Like, you are truly evil. and She's going to find that out. Well, I mean, as we know, hers is just as bad, yeah. so it probably wouldn't phase her even for a second. Just, just tell her. She'd make yeah, her happy. Yeah, probably, yeah. you know, get you some brownie points. Yep. But long story short there, you do end up marrying her, and that's also how you become mayor. If you choose not to marry her through this whole thing, guess what? You still become mayor. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it's there wasn't really a strong consequence, but at the same time, becoming mayor didn't really have a great payoff yeah. either. But the story leading into it, that this whole sequence, both sides of it, like to me, there's no, it's probably one of the most solid parts of the game, regardless mm-hmm. of which path you take, you're going to get a good story out yeah. of it. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, every one of them satisfying, even the, the shortest one. Yeah. Yeah. And weirdly, you know, given that I, I do like to play the, the Paragon role, I like to play the, the good guy through these games. I actually, I, I think when I really think back on it, the evil choice to fight Thunder is more satisfying oh, to yeah, me. Oh there, yeah, there's a lot more to it. It's very cool, and yeah. it's very layered, and it's that, you know, we don't like Thunder, but what's happening, he doesn't deserve, but at the same time, now you're the one who's being the, you know, incredible douchebag, and uh, I don't know. I, I, It's pretty incredible what they were able to do with that sequence alone. Like, to me, that is one of the strongest parts yeah. of the game, regardless of which road you take you're going to be entertained. Yeah, and I mean, it's really uh, 
it's a mission where you can go multiple different routes and you you gain more by or like you experience more by going other ways but you don't really lose anything no matter where you go exactly yeah yeah the outcome is still kind of the same and i know in a lot of games people complain about that like oh my choice didn't really have any consequence and I mean, technically not. I mean, you just wind up either married or not married yeah. by the end of it. And if you do wind up married, I guess you could always kill Lady Grey if you really didn't <laughs> want to mess with her. Um, but uh, one advantage of that, and Patrick and I were talking about it earlier, at least you wind up with a uh, dedicated voice for your wife and not the generic one that you get, yeah. regardless of who you marry, if you marry anybody else in the game. So that is kind of one unique reward. And she does wanna... love you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. seemingly. Yeah. Um, which, surprisingly, I guess I should yeah. say. She seems to be a lot nicer after marriage. Weirdly, yeah. right? You would think it'd go the other way. Maybe you helping her out being mayor maybe takes a lot of stress off of her. Or maybe we'll find out a little bit more about that later in Fable 2. I'm pretty sure with that many teases, everybody knows we're going to see her again. Yeah, definitely. She's coming back. <laughs> But that is going to be our time for this week. We like to keep it short to respect your time as well. Patrick, let's close it down. You good? Yep. Before we go, we'd like to give a thanks to those who helped contribute to the show. Zero XP Logo is provided by Jameson Johns. You can find him at behance.net forward slash Jameson Johns. Music provided by Odd Reference. You can find him at facebook.com forward slash odd.reference. You can contact us on Twitter at 0xpwebcast or feel free to email us at 0xppodcast at gmail.com. If you're on YouTube, be sure to like, subscribe, and comment. Liking and commenting helps YouTube let people know, or other Fable lovers know, that you like our content and direct them to us. You can find us on most major podcast sites. If there's one that you use and we're not on it, let us know. And before we get out of here, we like to give thanks to those who have helped inspire us to do this show. Thank you, Dean. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Ted. Thank you, Damien. Thank you, Mike. And thank you, Xbox Pope. And until next time, as always, just stay safe out there. Bye-bye. Bye-bye-bye. Jack of Blades' Undertaker. Bye-bye. <laughs>